For decades, clinicians have known that effective intervention for sepsis involves early diagnosis, yet sepsis remains a tough challenge. One in three patients dying in the hospital has sepsis, and 87% of those in the hospital with sepsis had it before admission. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tomas Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality Vizient, and on this episode of our award-winning podcast, we'll examine practices for diagnosis and documentation of sepsis that will help hospitals and clinicians meet this challenge. Returning to the podcast for this discussion is Linda Weissman. Linda, welcome back. Glad to be here, Tom. So tell us a little bit about your background and what you do at Vizient. I'm a senior consulting director with Vizient in their clinical documentation department with a clinical background in nursing, which was ER and trauma, as well as working in the CDI realm for the past 14 years. So Linda, you and I have been doing a lot of work with sepsis around the country. Before that, historically, it's about 15 to 18% of the deaths known in our country and most of our institutions, but we're seeing these numbers rise significantly. Why is this such a problem? Well, there's different criteria for sepsis, and the CMS uses one criteria, and some of the insurance companies use another, as well as looking at those sepsis cases from a PSI standpoint, the ones that come in post-operatively with the complication of sepsis, and making sure that we are linking conditions to the sepsis to make sure that we can handle the denials as they come in from using the various criteria. So you were mentioning the different criteria, but we also know it's important to diagnose this early. Is that part of it? Yes, that is part of it. And we will talk about a little bit of the present on admission aspect of that a little bit later in the program, but it is essential to make sure that we are documenting the condition early even if they're in early stages of sepsis, make sure that we are recognizing that and mentioning that as well, whether you're treating early sepsis and they haven't gone into an organ failure yet, or you've actually got some organ involvement and the providers really need to link that to the sepsis condition. So we've spoken in other times about SIRS criteria or systemic inflammatory response syndrome. Can you Mention anything about that when it comes to presenting patients with any type of septic kind of condition? Yeah, there's two international classifications currently being followed. The CMS still recognizes the second international consensus definition or the sepsis 2 or SERS criteria, and that's the systemic inflammatory response syndrome. However, there's several insurance companies out there that I mentioned before that use the third international consensus definition, which is the SOFA, or the Systemic Organ Failure Assessment. Any reason why there's this discrepancy between CMS and some of these third-party payers? Well, a lot of the physicians who look at the sepsis-3 criteria felt that it was more indicative of how a septic patient presents. The CMS, pre-COVID, had rumors that they were going to be moving to the sepsis-3 criteria as well. But with the advent of COVID, that's kind of been put on the back burner. It still doesn't mean that they won't be going to that sepsis 3 or SOFA criteria in the future. Okay, I can get that. So tell me about the criteria when it comes to sepsis 2 definition. Systemic inflammatory response syndrome is simple. You have to meet two of the four inflammatory responses with an underlying infection. And that's essential. They have to have an underlying infection. SERS criteria is defined namely as tachycardia, which is a heart rate greater than 90, tachypnea, a respiratory rate greater than 20, fever or hypothermia with a temperature greater than 38 or less than 36 degrees Celsius, and fourth, 
leukocytosis, leukopenia, or bandemia, and that's defined as a white blood cell count greater than 12, less than 4, or bandemia of greater than 10%. And Linda, to be clear, when you're saying underlying infection, do I have to actually state that there's a foci or that I have to actually state that there's a bacteria or virus that's causing this? You just have to state that there's an infection. Some of the providers won't know what infection that may be at times. Right. And if they just document unspecified bacterial infection or unspecified viral infection, that's going to do the trick. So you mentioned the systemic organ failure assessment or SOFA. Can you explain why this is somewhat different? Yes, it's different because it is the sequential organ failure assessment, which is the third international consensus of sepsis definition, and it includes the following criteria. The SOFA score was designed as a research tool so that groups of patients, those with sepsis, an infection in the bloodstream, which can lead to shock and death, could be categorized based on their risk of death. SOFA is quite accurate when used in the sepsis cases and when applied to groups of patients. It looks at the overall mortality rate in our ICU patients. So there are six criteria for the SOFA scoring, and some of those include your renal function, your respiratory status, your mental status, and it gives the patient an underlying score. Not all patients will start with a score of zero, and we have to know what our baseline score is for that patient, and that's something that we'll go into maybe in depth at a later time. It's quite lengthy, but they have to have an increase in their score of two or more to qualify and meet SOFA. So if they have sepsis with acute respiratory failure and acute renal failure, that patient is probably going to qualify for a SOFA score and meet the underlying sepsis 3 criteria. So Linda, let's say I'm admitting a patient. I believe this patient might have underlying sepsis. What exactly am I supposed to be documenting then? You need to be documenting, of course, if you're looking at the SERS criteria, you need to document what clinically, you are basing the information on that this patient is septic. Are they tachycardic? Are they tachypneic? Do they have a high white count? If we think it's viral, are we looking at underlying viral conditions? And if they have any organ involvement at all, do you feel that that's due to the sepsis in and of itself? Doctors don't always provide that link to the underlying conditions that are caused by sepsis, and it is really crucial that we do so. So as a practicing physician, I'm a bit confused. For many of us, we don't really look at who the payer is, whether it be CMS or a third-party organization, which may even be a patient still on Medicare. So what do I use in reference to defining a patient that is septic? Is there something down the line that kind of addresses both SERS criteria for CMS and SOFA? Not at this time. Just simply knowing as a provider that anytime you can link something to the sepsis, it's critical that we do so. Again, we're trying to prevent denials is basically what we're trying to do. And we know insurance companies are going to deny a certain percentage of their records. It's part of their job. But when we have sepsis and we can really see how critically ill this patient is, linking those conditions, again, like I said, any shock, any acute respiratory failure, any renal function issues, any metabolic encephalopathy, all of those conditions really reflect on the mortality of that patient and that's being treated. I can't stress enough that mortality issue with these patients. We have to really look 
and demonstrate how sick the patients we're treating truly are. I guess it goes back to what we keep on bringing up on this program, which is that clinical truth issue. It is true. If you document everything that's pertinent in the record for that patient, everything else will fall into place and take care of itself. Linda, great discussion. And we'll continue in our next episode. And to our listeners, you can contact Linda at her email address in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us a comment, please contact me at our email, modernpracticepodcast at visionc.com. We posted a link in our resource section. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. And now, I'm Dr. Tomas Villanueva. Thanks for listening. 